Hello and welcome to Owl Pellets, Tips for Ag Teachers podcast. Our goal at Owl Pellets is to help agriculture teachers like you find research-based solutions to the problems you face every day in the high school classroom and as you advise your FFA chapter. Here you will find practical tips for your agricultural classroom and interesting information to incorporate into your teaching. We invite the best agricultural education faculty and researchers from around the country to come and talk with us and share what they have learned. The Owl Pellets crew is Kate Shoulders from the University of Arkansas, Marshall Baker from Oklahoma State University, and me, Brian Myers from the University of Florida. For more information on Owl Pellets, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and visit our webpage at owlpelletsforag.wordpress.com. That's owlpelletsforag, all one word, .wordpress.com. All right, Owl Pellets, this is Brian, Kate, and Marshall here by the Owl Pellet. We are excited today because it's just the three of us. And believe it or not, in addition to doing the cool Owl Pellet stuff, we have real jobs. And we actually go out there and do research and teaching and outreach stuff all the time. And today we're going to be talking about some cool stuff that our very own Marshall Baker did. So Marshall, tell us about what we're going to be talking about today. Well, um, you know, as teachers, a lot of times we hear and we say, oh, we're experiential and we're hands-on. And, you know, there's been a, a lot of discussion about, you know, the way we teach. We really want to teach in a way that kids remember things. And, you know, we hear that language so often as teachers. So I said, let's go do an experiment. So I really did try to put two groups in two different rooms and I gave one a very direct instruction approach, which is like, it was a very good, here are the principles, let's practice it, let's go through this again, let's practice with friends, let's get feedback. But um, it was a very direct instruction type approach, like a typical classroom. And then the other was very experiential. Um, projects, they were working on the same exact principles, but in a totally different way, kind of in the way we say we do it in Ag Ed. Like hands-on. Yeah, hands-on. Kids were building things. They were working with the different um, wind turbines was actually the context. And so I was really excited because what I'm sure, I was just sure that what I would find is students were just going to remember it way, way better. They were going to remember my content better because I delivered it in this really hands-on way. And I was just sure that would happen. Um, but the results actually drew me to some neat conclusions that made me think a lot as um, I look at what classroom teachers can do to help. All right. So when you talk about remembering things, what, what kind of things are we remembering? It's a good question. Um, so, you know, I think for all of us, we have goals. And in schools, you know, we always go to standards first. And that's just the discussion that seems to permeate school culture is, you know, a math teacher is always talking about which standards are we working on and did students perform on those standards or history? You know, we taught about the Civil Wars. Are students remembering the content of, of the lesson? Are they remembering? Are they scoring well on a test? And, you know, we do that in Ag Ed too. You know, we look at an animal science unit, perhaps on digestion, and then we have a test at the end of digestion. And did students remember or learn, quote unquote, the goals that we had in that unit of instruction. And so that's what I was looking at is this analytical 
can you remember and did you did you take in and 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 assimilate information and accommodate that into your own learning like did the did the learning stick and so what'd you find what i found is a lot of literature out there about a thing called the forgetting curve and if you look at the results of my study i'm going to give you a visual representation of what it looks like so um, those in direct instruction and experiential learning started at about a 50%. Then, directly after I taught them, both groups, experiential and very direct, both of them had a significant gain in the amount of knowledge that they, that they acquired. So they went from a 50 and they moved that up to a score that was significantly higher. So they, they, they did better on the test after I taught them. So the 50% wasn't the forgetting curve already. That's like, I know 50% of the material. Okay, they scored a 50 on the test. Right, so I, you know, I, and I'm not looking at exact numbers, but just kind of an example. They, they knew a little bit about wind energy, but not a lot. I taught them and both groups learned about the same amount. So it's not like experiential hands-on was superior in getting information to them. But where I really thought the news would be is I thought six weeks later, those in direct instruction, I thought would forget it all. But those that were in experiential learning, man, they're gonna remember it because I made it meaningful and it was hands-on. But what I found is it looks like a big mountain, um, which matches the forgetting curve. They didn't know a whole lot. They learned a lot directly like the day of my lesson. And then six weeks later, both groups, had forgotten every, most of everything I had taught them. Small, negligible gain. Mm. So I taught them in two different ways, and basically they forgot the information six weeks later. So that and the end of the year makes me start thinking I, I, there are other jobs I could do if I'm making absolutely no difference here. <laughs> so where's the silver lining, or what as a teacher can I learn that will help me keep wanting to come back in tomorrow? Yeah, so I think... You know, if the measure is a test score, so if you're a teacher and what you're going for is improvement on test scores over time. So if your goal as an ag teacher is that kids could score really well on a cumulative exam at the end of the course, then the story is kind of um, concerning. The findings are kind of concerning, which by the way, we all know this. We all cram for exams. We do okay on the exam, and then we all look back and think, I don't remember that exam once the cramming session is over. Mm -hmm. That is the forgetting curve. The rest of the story on this study is I also measured creativity and ability to practically use information. So how creative can you be in context? Um, so basically, can I solve problems by being creative? And those in experiential learning were able to do that at a much higher level. And then if I ask students, don't take a test, build a windmill for me. Try to build a windmill that will produce the most amount of energy. The students that were in experiential learning or hands-on and got to work and play and try to question how things worked, they could build a windmill that, that far that, that performed far superior to the ones that were in direct instruction. So one, one of the big takeaways is if what you're going after is a traditional test, 
the methods, hands-on or direct instruction, like that doesn't change the outcome a whole lot. But if you're looking for practical use of information or creativity, the hands-on approach um, produced higher creativity and practical use of the information, which in career and technical education, I could get behind, hey, maybe that's what we're looking for. Man, it's tough when all our, I mean, I know it's April 26th when we're recording this and teachers are, and students have just gotten finished up testing or they're still working on their testing, right, for accountability. Um, that's really tough when we know that all the high stakes assessments are formal, tested, written assessments as opposed to these more authentic types of assessments. Um, and I think we keep seeing teachers kind of try to buck that system um, against that sort of testing. Yeah. So there's a second, there's a second thing that I have really ha had on my mind regarding this study. And that's this idea of um, who is the holder of the knowledge and who is the, yeah, who holds the knowledge? So I think one problem with this study is, um, or this type of instruction is, we put kids on a bus, we brought them to a classroom setting, and I had already decided what I was going to teach them. They walked in the class and I said, good afternoon, have a seat. You'll see around you. Today, I am going to teach at you and I'm going to teach you about something I've already chosen. And whether or not you find that relevant isn't going to affect what we are going to learn today. So, I mean, we did it experientially, really exciting and fun. And we did direct instruction that was really engaging and very uh, well-designed but we taught on the kids and we never said, what are you interested in? Like, what about, you know, what interest do you have? Or are you interested in wind energy at all? I don't think that we did an adequate job, even though it was hands-on. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure we helped the kiddos get on board. Sure. You know, and there's this idea that the prime directive is you have to go to the kids world before you can bring them to your world. And I really would love to do this study again and just spend an hour getting one group on board, like truly building authentic interest and connecting wind energy to these kids' lives so they understand why it matters and where it applies in their lives. And then the other group just say, welcome today, we're gonna teach wind energy. Right. Yeah. Because I think that addressing the why, I think, is one of our biggest uh, mistakes in common ed, mm -hmm. is we have, we have a curriculum calendar, and no matter what you're interested in, today we're learning about nutrition. Well, we view that, um, that time spent on building the interest as wasted time when we could be stuffing curriculum down their throat, right? Mm -hmm. But, I mean, it'd be interesting to see if that time spent you know, like, is there a, a tipping point at which the time spent on building interest reduces that forgetting curve, right? Like, can that shift the forgetting curve? Marshall, you and I should just do that. When we're not doing Alpilot stuff, we should design a study that does that. It would be really interesting. You know, we talk about, I think a lot of times in teacher preparation, teachers, I was trained. Well, the first thing you have to do in a lesson is a link motivation and overview. You have to get their attention. That's the first thing you have to do. Yeah, but and I see that as like, 
dun, 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 like turn on the show. I got your eyes. You're looking at me. Oh, look, here's a YouTube video of a goat spitting at a cameraman. Like, oh, that's funny. But now sometimes I wonder, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I wonder if we don't need to be a lot more purposeful about that link motivation and overview because it really is our job not to get their attention or to be funny. It's really our job to build intrinsic motivation within each of those students to give a rip. Yeah. And well, interest and intrinsic teaching. motivation are different. Yeah. Yeah. I think one thing we don't take advantage of, I mean, a lot of that basic lesson planning comes for all teachers in common ed. I mean, we teach in a context, we teach in an area that should help draw interest. And like you're talking about, we don't utilize the interest of, wind energy or animal science or whatever it might be to do that. So we need to, we need to tap into that. The other thing that, that I, that I was thinking as you were telling me more about this was this goes back to that idea is we can't say we're going to teach a standard once check and it'd be done with it. It was the one idea they're going to forget this kind of thing. And so if we need to do this. That means, because in this, if I understand correctly, you taught them this thing, they never talked about it again. And six weeks later, they took another, another assessment on it. And so that tells us if, if we're just going to say, okay, today I'm going to teach this, check, I'm done, and expect them to know it six weeks, eight weeks, three weeks, three months down the road, that's not going to happen. And so we got to make sure that we're continuing going through this loop and reminding them about it and showing them how to, to put this thing and how to actually use this knowledge because it's not just a going down the list of standards going check, 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 done, and expect them to know how to use that information. Yeah. And sometimes the answer is hard, right? Like in common education, when, you know, why they need to learn something that's difficult. But one thing I think that we don't do enough in ag and in history um, and in math and in science is saying sometimes we, we limit ourselves to, hey, I'm teaching you this because you're going to need this. Yeah. You know, and a lot of times you'll hear like, well, why am I teaching trigonometry well yeah you're not going to need that tomorrow but i think if we can help kiddos understand listen if you're not quantitatively minded if you can't build an ability to see numbers and understand numbers and see how numbers interact you're going to be limited in your ability to solve problems right. so like i'm not telling you like when you're out changing your oil you're going to need trigonometry i'm telling you you need to have a quantitative ability. You need to be able to look at numbers and manipulate numbers. And like, you can't interpret the current world if you don't understand where the world has been in the past. You need that information to make good decisions today. But see, I don't know if we make that clear. I'm going to challenge that for just a moment, being the angsty 90s teenager that I was, and be like, challenge accepted. Right? Like if you tell me I'm going to need something, I'm going to show you why I can be just fine without your rules and recommendations. So, right. um, and I don't think that's how you meant it, right? Like this is a, a short way to say, here's how we intrinsically motivate students. Um, but it seems to come from like setting up those instances that allow students to come to you and say, look, I'm trying to solve this problem over here that I'm really interested in. And I need to know that stuff in order to do it. I did, right. um, Brian, you and I did this uh, once with um, that socio-scientific instruction. So we had this overall question, would you 
want lab-grown meat to be entered into the nation's food supply. And through that, the students, you know, they had initial answers. And then we'd talk a little bit further about, you know, what they would, um, what else they would need to know. And they started writing down all these post-it notes. Like the first full day or two of the lessons, we're writing down all these post-it notes of what else do you need to know in order to be able to argue this? And then they started grouping those into categories, right? Like, well, these all have to do with the farming aspect of it. And these all have to do with the food safety aspect. And these questions all have to do with the nutrition. Those became the units, mm. right? So then each unit aligned with the things they actually wanted to know in order to be able to answer this question. I don't know if you can do that every time. And, like, and there is some aspect of like, we gave this to teachers and some could not give up that control. Like, giving the students the power to what those units would be next. That was really tough for some of them. And the hard reality of that is I think you hit the nail right on the head. Like a lot of times we'll say like adult learning is very different than youth learning. Like andragogy is very different than pedagogy. Adults, they have to want to learn. And if they go to a session and they don't like the session, they will leave. And kids are different. That's pedagogy. But I believe, no, it's not different. The difference is adults have the freedom to get up and walk out if this is irrelevant to them. And yeah. kids don't have that ability. That's They're told called, that's disrespectful. Yeah, that's called truant. Right. So if you're teaching me about something that I'm like, listen, thanks a lot, but like I have no use for this. Yeah. We know that, I mean, the literature is very strong in confirming we can throw information at them and we can use our power structure to force them to study and take a test if they care about their grade. Can't make them identify like, oh, this is really good stuff that I'm, I really need this right now. Yeah. Um, so then it makes me wonder, like, how do we work within common ed? Because I don't think a high school junior is that different than a professional adult. And I think there's a lot of times I, I get it. They're immature and they don't know what they need sometimes. But I think students would walk out of a lot of classes if, they, if, if, the, if the premise was, if this is interesting and meaningful to me, I'll stick around. Right. Yeah. Well, they, they do. They, they don't physically walk out. They just mentally check out. And if we could, I mean, I think oftentimes we rest on that, right? They can't walk out. So like this doesn't have to be amazing. I don't have to convince them to be here, right? Because they can't walk out anyway. But maybe shifting that thought I don't know, might, might help us do a little bit of a, of a better job of convincing them or putting effort into designing a lesson so that it convinced. I think a lot of this going back again, reminds me of, you know, we used to call it the problem solving approach. We call it inquiry based on learning they're, and those are different, but they're very, they're cousins at least, you know, to do this. And you're, you're starting with that problem, that question that they want to solve. And maybe, maybe in the old days when we, we know way it was designed was, yeah, <laughs> you go you go through there and you um, you know they they're not bringing in their own problems from their own farm because they're not these are, these aren't coming from farms but we can create this kind of stuff because again we have these lab facilities We're, we are we are not utilizing the tools that we have and we too many times we walk into when I'm doing a student teaching visit or visiting a high school I watch the instruction it's like the instruction is happening in a completely different world. And then now we're going to go out and do something in the land lab, or now we're going to go do something with the animals or the garden or the mechanics. I'm like, why are we operating in two separate things? Utilize that tool to say, Hey, go look, these plants are dead. Why did they die? Let's figure this kind of thing out. Or we, we now have an, we have a, a show animal we're going to have. 
what do we need to do between now and show date to get this animal ready to go? How do we, you know, let's solve this problem and make it real. But too often, man, we just, we keep those things separate. And I, and I know it's hard. And um, maybe we have, somehow we as a system have beaten that out of our ag teachers to utilize those tools as a teaching tool. But that's kind of what we're saying. And that also does, I think, may address that forgetting curve because the thing about animals is they want to eat every day. And, and so you're going to go back and remember, okay, why am I doing this kind of stuff? And you can talk about that overall to keep that, that kind of thing going, going in their mind so it's not a one and done kind of a deal. And sometimes I wonder, I look at AFNR standards and I'm not, you know, I'm not, this is the ideas of Marshall and I get the idea of standards. I get it. Sometimes, you know, I look at AFNR and it's just overwhelming. And like the number of things we're thinking about kids remembering, right. you know, sometimes I wonder if we just didn't say, you know, there are 20 major guiding principles of agriculture that you really need to know and understand. And maybe that is like principle one, plants need micro and macronutrients to live and to, li and to, and to produce fruitfully. And like, what are those macro and micronutrients just in general in agriculture? What is needed for things to grow? Um, animals, animals have different digestive systems and this is how they process food. If we could boil that down so that what we're teaching them are principles that they're going to see in the land lab and the animal lab and the, and the horticulture, they're going to see those principles constantly and we can reaffirm those rather than trying to teach. I mean, number of standards in AFNR, it's just overwhelming. The only way you could do that is to break it out into units and teach it in a pretty traditional way. So I think sometimes that's a challenge. So, you know, I used to teach, you know, the curriculum instruction class here. And so often you go back and you look and what they, they do is they take those standards what those are, and that becomes our unit. Standard one is unit one. Standard two, unit two. And I'm like, no, let's, you know, let's talk, we can move these things around. What if instead with our standards, what if instead we had these, these statements, what if we framed, what if we took all those as questions to be solved? Mm. What, like if, what if we, questions? we, we flip those things around and say, okay, these are the questions. Students will be able to answer these seven questions by the time they complete our program or course or whatever else just to kind of frame that around and not really box that kind of stuff in because I think what you're seeing here is we want to be able for them to, to have that knowledge, but we have the opportunity with the experiential learning like your, your study here showed Marshall to really talk about creativity, problem solving, actually making things useful down the road. And so how do we really, again, utilize the tools that we have? So the big learning lessons from this study is if our goal is banking information, the evidence is clear in ag ed and for the last 50 years, kids are going to bank information. They're going to learn it and then they're going to forget it. And so how can we create a more enduring learning? Well, first of all, you can't just rely on testing like a test. That's always going to be forgotten. We've got to find relevant, meaningful applications of information for kiddos. And that's really what this study, the story of this study is. Um, you can teach in a lot of different ways and all of them really help you bank information. But if you want enduring knowledge, you've got to get into inside the student's head first and then the methods will help support that. Excellent. Thanks. Thanks Marshall for sharing this with us. I mean, great stuff. And this basically just to show that everybody out there, we're, we're not just the eye candy that is owl pellets. We actually, <laughs> <laughs> which we do an incredibly marginal job of. 
<laughs> I couldn't even get that out with a straight face. <laughs> We're out there and, and doing some cool stuff. And so, so thanks. Um, this is great stuff, guys. When you're out there, teachers, you've got some incredible tools. Utilize those tools. Make, use it by making your job easier rather than trying to, to act like, you're, like something else. Use those, use those tools. So, Marshall, thanks for sharing that with us. Kate, thanks for all of your great insight as always. So, folks, be sure to check us out. The resources that are going to be posted, uh, share with your other ag teachers. Uh, we're getting up here on summertime, and so you have time for to refresh and try out some new ideas coming on um, for the next year. And be looking for owl pellets this summer, doing some pretty exciting things, a little bit of a teaser on what's going to be happening this summer. And so uh, for Kate and Marshall, this is Brian here by the Owl Pellet saying thanks. Hello, Owl Pellet family. This is Marshall Baker at Oklahoma State University. I'm going to take just a short minute to share with you a little bit about our Department of Agricultural Education, Communications, and Leadership at Oklahoma State. The Department of Agricultural Education, Communications, and Leadership develops students into well-rounded agricultural professionals. Whether they want to pursue a career as an agricultural education teacher, which we would love, magazine editor, public relations specialist, sales and marketing associate, extension educator, no matter what that job is, our department can help students achieve their goals. Our faculty and staff work closely with students inside and outside of the classroom to create a family atmosphere and help students feel that this is a place they can call home. Our department offers advisors that are also faculty members. They spend unique one-on-one -on -one time advising each student. We teach courses and we're involved professionally in the areas that the students are studying. These faculty advisors, I being one of them, assist in planning individual programs for every student that walks through our door. We pride ourselves in our open door policy. We love to invite students to stop by our office, talk about their life, talk about the decision to teach ag, and their academic pursuits here at OSU. You know, it doesn't hurt that Oklahoma State's also nestled in a wonderful town, Stillwater, Oklahoma. We find it very easy to continue to stay strong and stay rooted in agriculture, one of the primary industries in our state. If students are looking for a, an experience in an undergraduate program, we hope you would consider Oklahoma State University for that option. You can look at our department by going to www.aged.okstate.com. Edu. We'd love to have you on campus. Please contact any of us and we can make that happen. I appreciate you tuning into the podcast and go Pokes! I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Owl Pellets. Please visit our webpage for more information on this topic and to learn more about all of our guests. Be sure to follow Owl Pellets on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It would also be great for you to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. Also, we ask that you please take a moment and comment on our podcast so others can find it as well. So for Kate and Marshall, this is Brian here by the Owl Pellet saying thanks and we look forward to seeing you again on another episode of Owl Pellets, Tips for Ag Teachers.